You are listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Renal colic, one of the most intense types of pain we see in our practices. How can we help these stones to pass without resorting to an invasive urologic procedure? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman, your host, and with me today is Dr. John Collinsworth from the Department of Urology at the University of Michigan Medical Center in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Thank you for being with us, Dr. Hollinsworth. Uh, Thanks for having me, Lee. Today we want to discuss ways that we can help our patients to cope with the pain of kidney stones and renal colic. Perhaps you could start by outlining for us some of the traditional therapies that are used before we move on to some of the more novel approaches. Conservative management for most patients with renal colic who present either to the clinician's office or to the emergency room has consisted of pain relief. And for that, typically we use a combination of narcotic pain medications as well as non-steroidal anti-inflammatory agents. And there's a lot of literature that suggests that these medications are helpful in alleviating some of the pain associated with renal colic. In addition to that, typically as urologists, we also recommend that the patients be well hydrated and push plenty of fluid. And that has been the mainstay of conservative therapy for the patient with acute renal colic. And Dr. Hollinsworth, is it ever acceptable to treat empirically? We get the patient with a typical presentation in the office and we do a urinalysis and there's blood in the urine. Is it okay to just go ahead and treat or would you recommend getting some imaging to confirm the diagnosis? Typically, we would recommend obtaining some imaging studies. In our practice, usually we recommend getting a non-contrast CT of the abdomen and pelvis to localize a stone. For instance, you could be dealing with a stone up in the renal pelvis versus a stone somewhere along the course of the ureter. Alternatively, a clinician could obtain a flat plate of the abdomen with a renal ultrasound to evaluate for the possibility of hydronephrosis. Now, occasionally you'll have recurrent stone formers who come into the clinic who might present, as, as you described, with some microscopic hematuria and the classic renal colic, in which case you wouldn't necessarily have to delay treatment with analgesics as well as fluids, but I still think it would be worthwhile. And in addition to um, some of the traditional conservative therapies that we discussed, it's always worthwhile to have these patients uh, strain the urine so we can ensure that there was stone passage. Also uh, do a metabolic analysis of the stone? Exactly. As you know, some patients with certain stone characteristics are amenable to some medical management once they, once they have passed their stones such as urinary alkalinization therapy. And I imagine also very important off the bat to make sure there's no infection and perhaps check a creatinine. Along those lines, there, there are certain indications that we have as a urologist for urgent intervention in the patient who does have a stone. Not every patient who presents with renal colic secondary to a ureteral calculus would be a, a candidate for conservative therapy. Absolute indications would be the patient who has obstructing pyelonephritis, so a ureteral stone with infection behind the stone. Additionally, the patient who has either a solitary kidney or a functionally solitary kidney would warrant some sort of urinary diversion. Some relative indications would be the immunocompromised patient with an obstructing stone or a patient with intractable nausea and vomiting or uncontrolled pain. And when I say urinary diversion, we're typically talking about either ureteral stenting or percutaneous nephrostomy tube placement. When we talk about uncontrolled or intractable pain, I imagine that's somewhat subjective because this is intensely uncomfortable experience for people. Definitely, which is why, you know, typically these patients are less often seen in the clinician's office and more often in the emergency room when they have uh, the severity of pain. And in that setting, typically a trial of IV narcotics or ketolorac is appropriate, provided that their renal function is okay. And if the pain can be controlled and then the patient can be transitioned to oral pain medications, then that would be the ideal. But for that patient who whose pain we can't get ahead of, then 
as I had said, a relative indication for diversion would be that scenario. And uh, are there any time limits, even if the pain is being controlled with intravenous narcotics, where you say, gosh, this is just not progressing? You know, in our practice, we uh, typically will, for the patient who is eligible for conservative therapy and who has adequate pain relief, we'll typically give them a reasonable trial. We typically see them back in our clinics after a couple weeks or so with repeat imaging to see if there's been any movement in the, in the stone. And if they're doing well at that time and their narcotic requirements aren't very high, we would even give them some additional time. Animal studies would suggest that an obstructed renal moiety that's been obstructed for more than six weeks can start to actually see some, we can see detrimental effects to that kidney's function. So I would caution watching someone conservatively beyond that period of time and a lot of this is, of course, dictated by the patient. And, you know, if they are uncomfortable or having high narcotic requirements, then surgery may be indicated earlier than that, of course. Uh, yeah, that sounds like a long time frame to, to wait for something that can be very painful. And you take, I imagine, into account some social factors. Is the patient able to work and things of that nature? You're exactly right. I mean, a lot goes into it. Uh, one's ability to do their daily activities and go to work. I mean, there's certain professions, of course, who even if they don't have pain associated with their stones, do require treatment. Occupation that comes to mind, of course, are pilots. Well, you are listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman, and I'm speaking with Dr. John Hollingsworth from the Department of Urology at the University of Michigan Medical Center. Dr. Hollingsworth, are there certain physical characteristics of the stones that you can see on a CT that make you say, gosh, we might as well just go right in and get this out? Probably the biggest thing that we think about in examining the radiographs and the CTs of patients with stones is both the stone size and location. Uh, we have observational data, which, you know, has kind, kind of informs us as well as the patient as to the likelihood of stone passage. For those stones less than five millimeters in size located in the ureter, the, the patient has a very high likelihood of spontaneous stone passage. And for that patient, uh, we're much more inclined to and give them a trial of conservative therapy. For the patient with a larger ureteral and renal calculi, likelihood of passage is lower, of course. And while conservative therapy might be a reasonable initial approach, our threshold for intervention in the setting of colic is, is lower, definitely. And is there a kind of linear relationship as you go up over that five millimeter mark and they get bigger, the less likely we're going to have success conservatively? In terms of whether or not it's linear or exponential, I can't say with 100% certainty. There is a precipitous drop-off after five millimeters in size. Now, that is for those stone series where people were given the initial, or excuse me, the traditional conservative approach. Now with some of the, the medical expulsive therapy, which has been published in some of the recent literature, that five millimeter threshold actually may be a little bit on the low side, and that there are people with larger ureteral calculi that would, would also be good candidates for longer courses of uh, conservative therapy or watchful waiting. Very interesting. And as a primary care internist, could you describe for me uh, the two procedures that you were talking about, the stenting, and how these are approached when it looks like conservative therapy is either not appropriate or not being successful? So ureteral stenting is an endourologic procedure typically involves retrograde placement of a ureteral stent. So through the urethra, a rigid scope is placed, we then identify the patient's ureteral orifice on the affected side and a plastic tube that goes up into the patient's renal pelvis and then drains the urine down from the renal pelvis, both through the tube and around the tube into the patient's urinary bladder. It's an ambulatory procedure. The patient comes in on the day of surgery and goes home that same day. Placement of a percutaneous nephrostomy tube is typically done 
under radiologic guidance. Uh, this is typically done with fluoroscopy, and this involves making a needle puncture through the patient's flank directly into the renal pelvis, and there's a pigtail catheter that's then placed over a wire to drain the kidney to the outside. Are there particular situations that are more approachable by one technique versus another, or is it more the individual urologist's preference and experience? I do think that urologist's uh, preference and experience plays a role here. There are some urologists who are more skilled at endourologic procedures than others, but um, a lot of it also has to do with the patient. For those patients who have impacted stones, it can sometimes be impossible to negotiate wires and stents beyond them when you're approaching the patient's ureter from a retrograde approach or down below in the bladder, in which case placement of a percutaneous nephrostomy tube may be the only way of adequately diverting the patient's urine. In addition, for people who are of large body habitus, sometimes it can be difficult to get access into the patient's kidney from a percutaneous flank approach as well. So there, there can be some rate-limiting steps both on the side of the surgeon as well as from the patient factors. That's very interesting. And any major differences then in terms of subsequent follow-up if lithotripsy is needed or other procedures? Is one of those two procedures easier on the patient than another? How would you compare them? In terms of actually treating the stone then, there, there are a variety of urologic procedures that can be done. In terms of renal colic typically caused by ureteral calculi, although patients can have colic associated with renal calculi as well. For dealing with ureteral calculi, depending on the stone's location, different different approaches can be taken. For proximal ureteral stones, the uh, American Urologic Association recommends as first-line therapy for those stones less than a uh, centimeter in size, extracorporeal shockwave lithotripsy. For distal ureteral calculi that are less than a centimeter in size, the American Urologic Association recommends either ureteroscopy and lithotripsy versus uh, extracorporeal shockwave lithotripsy. So there are different ways of skinning the cat. Shockwave lithotripsy is a minimally invasive technique whereby sound waves from a generator are used to fragment the stone up into little pieces so that the patient can then pass it. Ureteroscopy with lithotripsy involves passing a little scope up the patient's ureter and then using some sort of energy source to fragment the stone. And this can be done with either laser fibers, electrohydraulic energy sources, pneumatic sources. There are a variety of different devices that we have for fragmenting the stones up into small pieces. Well, I want to thank Dr. John Hollingsworth from the Department of Urology at the University of Michigan Medical Center, who has been our guest as we've been discussing the more traditional approach to dealing with renal colic, ureteral stones, and renal stones. Very nice review of the previous standard of care. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.